You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast. The autumn is over for Wales. Two wins from four. But yet again, do we have more questions than answers? Uh, delighted, to, <laughs> delighted to say there's only one man I'd want to, to pick the bones out of this. Um, and he's uh, the straight the straight talking mighty Murph. How are you, Murph? Good, thanks. Yeah, you? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. I mean, just honestly, I, I very nearly in the first couple of minutes of that game when Australia were on the front foot, I very nearly put out a tweet that just was like, just waiting for the red card to happen. And sure enough, five <laughs> minutes later, it, it, it was there. I saw, um, made, it made me chuckle. Um, Jamie Phillips, who's a regular listener to this podcast, put out a tweet that said something along the lines of life, death and taxes and Wales playing against 14 men. And it is true, isn't it? Like just this, that's, the sixth, yeah. that's the sixth time it's happened under Pivak's reign. It was just, uh, yeah, yeah. just astonishing. There was a lot made of it yesterday and today in the reaction to the game, and um, uh, we 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 were WhatsApping back and forth. Did mm. one of us say? I think it was you said uh, Wales are very good at labouring past fourteen men or something uh, like that. That's it. Yeah, that is. Um... Yeah. But what, what you can say, I mean, you know, I, I'm not Dan's not here, so I'll have to take positivity, <laughs> Rob. But you, what you can say is that uh, uh, Gareth Thomas aside, not Gareth Thomas, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Gareth Thomas. Gareth Thomas, the new Gareth Thomas. Uh, Gareth Thomas aside, the, the discipline is good in the Welsh side. I mean, there's been no red cards, and it is, you know, let's be honest, it is easy to get red carded these days. Well, yeah, no, that's a really good point, actually. That is a really good point, and I think, you know, what we're what we'll always try and do here is be, um, yeah. Obviously, Dan brings a degree of optimism. Yestin, bring, <laughs> Yestin brings the opposite, and you and me kind of float in between. I think, but <laughs> I like to I like to think that we can try and be objective about it and. 
you know, again, I, I felt quite deflated after that win yesterday, which is not something I yeah. ever thought I would be after a win over Australia. But you're right, mm. actually. You know, there, there is something to be said for for um, generally Wales's discipline, and it's, there is always something to be said for keeping 15 men on the field as much as you possibly can. Hey, look, I, <laughs> if, if, if it had been the other way around, and this was in two, sorry, if it had been in two years' time, and we'd beaten Fiji and Australia. Because they both got men sent off, and it meant mm. we topped the pool and got a, you know, a, in theory, a better quarter final. Then I think it would mm. be very, very different. My concern is that throughout the whole of the pivot reign, there has been a degree of good fortune, and mm. I'm a bit worried we've, we're going to use it all up now. And uh, yeah, yeah. and yeah, there'll be some stinking call come uh, the 2023 World Cup. Yeah, the, the only flip side of that, though, if I, if I can switch back to being a cynical git is uh, all the decisions we, we did get like you know I think every Welsh fan even the most one-eyed Welsh fan would agree we got all the decisions yesterday mm. like nothing was every, every slight thing they did they were caught up on and we got away with, we got away with a few things and whatever um, but those decisions yesterday the car, the red and the yellow were the cards we should have been given against the All Blacks yes that's a good point they, they, we were stiffed against the All Blacks yeah. and um, got everything we would dare hope for against the Aussies. So, uh, if you could have spread that out across the two games, well, we'd have had less of a we'd have had less of a kick in off the All Blacks, but probably lost to the Aussies. Exactly. And if you're going to want them one way round, you want it to win the game yeah, rather than lose lose by twenty rather than thirty, don't you? Ultimately, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, a lot. Um, yeah, a or lot, I mean, uh, sorry to interrupt. Or we could just have all those decisions because those cards against the All Blacks were correct they should have been a red and a yellow I mean the red there's people have debated over but there's no doubt about the yellow uh, and so it's not a case of really having the luck on the day with the referee they should have been red and yellow against the All Blacks and the, there was not much doubt about the red about the red yesterday either so yeah I think yeah know. I think ultimately that is that that is the thing is to be fair again you know looking at the red cards that Wales have had against them these six red cards I don't think mm. you could argue that one of them wasn't a red card. You know, again, I'm no. I'm I'm struggling to remember the one in the draw against Argentina, if I'm honest. But <laughs> you know, you look yeah. back at Omani, at Xander Fagerson, uh, certainly yesterday. Yeah. You look at whatever the other ones have been. Um, the, the Fiji, the Fiji one, the where Fiji he just one. tackled him yeah. really well, and then decided to smash him in the face after. Yeah, you know, yeah. all of them but, are stone cold reds. But it should be seven. Yes, it should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. But again, you know, do we want that win percentage? I think this is it. It's, we're just carving out our niche. You know, you had the every every side, every great side in history needs its kind of its defining way of playing. You know, Wales in the seventies, <laughs> flair and ambition and run it from everywhere. You know, Wales yeah. Wales under Gatland, it was just about grinding out results and playing physical rugby. This is it now. We just need yeah. someone to get sent off, and uh, <laughs> and we we'll find a way to just about just... squeak past them. We got to we got to send out fifteen victims. <laughs> it looked like they just got punchable faces, and um, we're we're laughing. Um, it, it, I don't know how much accuracy there is in this because I, I basically I think I basically heard it from some bloke down the pub. It was excellent in response. Yeah, they're my favourites. <laughs> response to. Uh, the way the game was refereed against the All Blacks. I know this is not very topical because <laughs> it was three weeks ago, but it's brought come up again anyway. It's, there's some stat going around that uh, most Tier 1 countries run at about 15 penalties per red card. Okay. Uh, yellow card, should I say? 
So obviously, if you if you're committing loads of penalties, mm-hmm. the referee gives you a warning, and if it carries on, someone goes in the bin. Uh, and the stat from the blog on the pub. So we, on average, we and the rest of the two world nations go along at about 15 yellow, uh, penalties per yellow card. For the All Blacks, it's closer to 38. <laughs> Now, I don't know <laughs> if any of our <laughs> much more knowledgeable listeners want to uh, correct me on that. But I... it, just, it just feels like part of, look, part of that is because they're so bloody clever. Yeah. They, they, don't, they don't do stupid stuff like um, Gareth Thomas did yesterday. Like they're much more sneaky. <laughs> um, and, they, and they don't do the same thing over and over to get themselves yellow carded either. You know, they, they, they're aware, if you know what I mean. And obviously, some of that is just their. The way the referee, the reputation just makes them diplomatic immunity and all that stuff. Yeah, it is true. And generally, the better you get, the more decisions you you get your way. And I think mm. I've always been one of these people, actually, who's largely said you don't you you make your own luck in sport. You know, if you uh, if you're clever, if you work that bit harder, you chase down the odd lost cause, you get the opportunity to to get a little bit lucky. Um, yeah. The only anomaly to that is this current Wales side because I just don't quite. I, I, I've just never seen it. I've never seen a slice of you know, kind of considerable things like that. The All Black game aside, um, mm. let's talk about the Nick Tompkins decision, which has dominated a lot of, um, a lot of kind of coverage during the game and um, and afterwards. Uh, we had you know a, a bit of a, a hissy fit of a press conference from Dave Rennie afterwards, who was ah, I haven't li- seen that. Oh, he's livid. It's worth a look. I- I tell you, I tell you, it would have been good value if that had happened. Was Michael Chaker? <laughs> he's completely so he, gone in the so, so Amazon had him as, uh, yes, as one, as yeah, one yeah, of the pundits. That, yeah. yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, so he was he was on there as well. And while we're there, Murph, you've given me a nice segue into one of the other pundits yesterday, which is Jamie Roberts, who right. we'll uh, we I caught up with him uh, earlier this week, and well, earlier last week if you're listening to this on the Monday. Um, mm. Long story short, there is a podcast with Jamie Roberts coming out later this week, if you can keep nice. up which, with whichever <laughs> week I'm talking about. So yeah. make sure you subscribe to the Attacking Scrum because you'll be getting a notification about a, uh, a chat that I had with uh, with Ross Harris and, uh, and Jamie Roberts about a, a number of things. Ross Harris is a knowledgeable guy as well. He is, yes. Very knowledgeable mm. guy. A good, um, mm. good bloke and thanks to him for uh, for setting that interview with, uh, with, uh, with Jamie up. Did he... Did Ross also make sure you recorded it properly this time? Ooh. <laughs> Savage. I did mention it, actually, t- towards the end of the podcast, um, because uh, I think Jamie Roberts was vaguely aware of the fact that we had had a 10-minute conversation three years ago. Um, All right. He, funny enough, uh, funny enough, wasn't aware of the fact that it hadn't, uh, that it hadn't gone out, because uh, I, I don't think he's an avid listener. Well, he wasn't an avid listener until now, no. of course. Well, now he knows. Yeah, now he knows exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. But there we go. So that's something. Uh, that's something to, to come later. But let's get back to that Tompkins decision, um, which. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jamie on the uh, after the game said it was the ball went backwards. Lots of people seem to be taking that stance. Um, I'm going to throw this one to you. That mm. 99 times out of 100 that in real time is given as a yellow card and a penalty to Australia. Yeah. Which it's is strange... weird because it was the right decision. It, it doesn't go yeah. forward. No, I know. But it's weird because not, we're at the stage now or in an era now where all of those uh, dis, uh, potential 
deliberate knock-ons are looked at by TMO. That's true. Um, if it was naked eye, he would have gone off. Mm. And then, so because it goes, because they all go to TMO now, you can you're able to see that it doesn't. Although he slaps it down, it doesn't go backwards. And uh, uh, the captain James Slipper was it? Yeah. Slipper was saying, "Well, you can't slap it. You just can't slap it." You can't. it well, and then you, the ref is explaining, you "If can, it doesn't go yeah. forward, you, you can slap it. The only thing you can't do is slap it out of play." Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a penalty. But if you're slapping it backwards, it's no one's business. So um, it's a, it's an odd one because he's he's just been lucky. I mean, really lucky. Lucky that it didn't go forward, and then lucky that everyone else in the pitch had stopped. Which which actually is over. the bit that is, um, you know, I, if I'm honest, I don't think anyone. Would have got to him anyway. He's a pretty quick guy, and yeah. you know he was virtually, uh, off from my memory, was you know was virtually on his own then. By the time the ball popped up into his arms, but nonetheless, yeah. actually, if that was the other way round again, I'd be raging if if the Welsh players had stopped had stopped playing. Yeah, but also, I don't know how, how I don't know how um, how it would work out if if we were doing if same position, Tompkins playing for Wales. Against England at Twickenham, he's not going to. No one's going to spot that it's gone backwards. Are they? They're just going to say he's knocked it down. Penalty. You well, wouldn't get that decision away from home. No, you wouldn't. And the other thing I think is that more often than not, the referee will look at that and go, "I think that's gone forward. Can we double check that, please?" Mm. No one's awarding a try there most of the time. No. That's the thing. Is Adamson gave the decision to Wales and said, "I'm going to stick. Yeah. I'm going to give tries. Is there any reason why not?" And as it happens. I mean, it doesn't go backwards. It goes flat, doesn't it, pretty much, which mm. is almost impossible with a ball shaped like that. Um, yeah. But, you know, there it we would go. Have been, slice of fortune. Yeah, it would have been tricky if it'd gone down and then bounced forward. Mm. It would have looked even more, like it would have been less likely then to go to the TMO. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it just sort of went into his, well, backwards into his feet kind of thing. So he was able to just pick it up and off he went. And I don't know, it's... Uh, it, that's, I, I would imagine that's giving the officials and, and the body that runs the officials nightmares that decision because it'll give it, it, it'll give incentive now to some players to, like a, a Bowden Barrett for example you go for that tap but so long as they pull it towards their feet or try to pull it towards their feet at the same time the slap is on do you see what I mean? I do um uh, but that's, um, I suppose, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? Is, no. that, is that any is that any different to jumping up in the air and, and slapping it backwards no, on not, a restart? No, you no. know, it's uh, yeah. yeah, it'll add it'll add a bit of jeopardy for sure if that mm. if that does become a trend. Yeah, yeah. But there you have uh, it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's something that you wouldn't want to. You want to have something. You, although totally legal and everything else, it's not something you want. to to happen regularly where players are just sticking their arm out and getting away with it like that no. he was just lucky he was just lucky he didn't go forward that's all yeah. but um, and obviously last week I completely uh, uh, I wouldn't say slagged him off but ruled him out as a potential <laughs> you disagree <laughs> I, know, I ruled think... him out as a, as a potential centre for Wales and he's probably the most complete he's played for us not, didn't make a massive amount of breaks, but his hands were neat and tidy, and everything was there. So look, certainly attacking wise, I think he he was. But uh, look, I think we've all been um, a little bit critical over the over the course of the autumn. You more so than yeah. anyone. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, 
totally cool with it. Yeah, but actually, I think he, yeah, you know, he had a, he had a decent game. You know, he scored ultimately mm. the the try that made the difference. Uh, I don't think my concerns with him really are. I mean, a game like that where it's completely unstructured and it's madness, and you're playing yeah. against fourteen men, I think suits him very, very well. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. the problem is when he goes running down blind alleys and. Mm defensively is is the concern but you have to say well played you know he was probably the most threatening player that we had in attack so you know. yeah across the whole 18 minutes um first half um Halahola was really good yeah but he, he really fell off a cliff a little bit towards the end he kept getting exposed in defense somewhere have you so across the 80 minutes like you know nick nick tompkins was the best player and you know as far as um us not rating him or me outright slagging him off and being horrible to him uh that that, that was based on the fact that he started really well for us and got gradually worse every time he played. Mm. Every performance was slowly worse than the rest one and the, the last one until yesterday. And um, hopefully, I mean, uh, he still wouldn't get in front in front of George North, but hopefully he can carry on in that vein because um, we're not well off in that position. So No, we're not. And actually, you've touched on a big thing there, which is the amount of injuries that Wales have had over the autumn. That would seem mm. to be the message coming out of Pivak's camp on... On Saturday night after the game was that the autumn has been hugely positive because a lot of players have got good exposure playing at international level. This will breed the the strength in depth. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's there's been a a huge amount of quality international players who haven't been available mm. throughout. You know, basically after that New Zealand game, there's there's been heaps of them. How different do you think it would have been if Tipperick and Navidi and Alan Wynn and Moriarty and North and all the others were available. Do you think we would have seen, you know, something that was perhaps a bit more cohesive? Uh, you'd like to think so, and, and you'd like to think with more of those. Well, I mean, it, it, you're just reading off names of, you know, British Lions players and vastly experienced international rugby players. So you'd like to think we would have been closer to the uh, South Africans, at least. Um, and maybe not, maybe we wouldn't have laboured so hard against 14 yesterday. But um, there's nothing in our background to suggest that we wouldn't have. As say, so, a, lot, um, a lot of those players were on the pitch in the Ireland and the Scotland game, weren't they? Yeah, Which, yeah uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, would kind of maybe suggest otherwise. It's just, I think that's the thing for me is normally two years into a coach's reign, you'd be getting a good feel for how things were going and whether we should be excited, mm. room for improvement or you know, the wheels have come off. And yeah. it's just so hard to gauge this because virtually every victory has come with some degree of some degree of fortune, whether it's you know, whether it's a, yeah. a decision or or not. And I feel like this this um this autumn just adds to that because I don't know whether we've got whether we're moving in the right direction or not, because the two wins mm. have been against fourteen men and yeah. 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 Uh, it, it's just it's what you can um, take out of it, though, is that there's quite a lot of players uh, have showed if, if they needed to step up. Like, for example, Seb Davis yesterday. He had a really good game. Mm, yeah, he um, did. He did. Um, like, possibly better than I've seen him play for the Cardiff in second row. Um, he doesn't, I mean, hasn't had many second row starts for Wales. Um, and he went really well. Uh, and, uh, I mean, Chris Schunzer. Looks a prospect. But, I mean, the confidence in him shown to off the bench for Fiji 
and then to, to, to be retained on the bench for Australia um, shows that behind the scenes he's going well as well. So, um, that, you know, and that, that was just that was just to name two. There's loads of players that have had to step up in the last few weeks. And um, I suppose when you're going into a World Cup um, campaign, that's probably the most you want is to, to know that there's blokes in the background, not necessarily first choice, who can hack it in big games like Australia at home, South Africa at home. And so um, from their point of view, although we haven't been very entertained, from their point of view, I mean, the um, the management is probably a fairly successful outing this autumn. I mean, that's certainly the noises coming from coming from over there, but I, I suppose you would you would say that Yeah, anyway, you'd have but, to put some spin on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, you know, at the, at the yeah. same time, they're... There probably is a degree, a degree of truth in that. I think if you were to look at last autumn and how, I mean, everything about last autumn was awful, and mm. you know, including the fact it was empty stands and the virtually every game was a drab, dull affair. Not just Wales. I mean, the whole of the autumn series. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then this autumn, by comparison, has been fantastic. You know, there's been upsets. There's been lots of exciting rugby. We haven't even touched on the the New Zealand France game yesterday, which mm. was just uh, mm. an, yeah. ama- an amazing spectacle. Um, yeah. So you know, it, it's it's always a little bit difficult to gauge how where the side is after the autumn because I mean, let's be honest. Under Gatland, we had very few good autumns. I think 2018, no. the last autumn that he had prior to the World Cup, was probably the best because we beat. Did we beat everyone we played that time round? I think we might have done actually. No. Did we? I can't. I can't remember anything before the pandemic, unfortunately. Uh, um, <laughs> It just seemed that seems like several decades ago, well, twenty eighteen. We beat we beat Australia when Halfpenny almost had his head taken off. Uh, we beat right. South Africa when Ellis Jenkins got injured in the last minute. Ah, right, okay, that, we that, beat, that series, yeah, yeah. We beat Tonga, and then I can't think who else we played. We must have played four because you know because of the money, yeah, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, that that is a yeah I, all. All I mean is, I think it's sometimes it, it can be very, very hard to gauge, particularly when you're playing four test matches, where where the sides at, and then comes. Well, look, we never, we, like you, yeah, like you say, we never have um, good autumns. Like broadly speaking, we might beat um, one of the semi, one of the southern hemisphere sides, but generally across the four games, we don't play that well normally in the autumn, and that's one of the reasons why we haven't beaten the All Blacks in so long because mm. we play them in the autumn. Uh, or we play them away in June, and what's the chances of beating them away? Or we play them at the World Cup, which is you know we, we had. I mean, 2003 and all that. We have had good games against them, but if we don't play well in the autumn on a regular basis, we're not going to beat the All Blacks for quite some time, because like I say, away from home or the World Cup is the other op- opportunity to beat them. So um, yeah, I, I, and I, I think I said last week it'd been because the. the uh, the lineup went um, fairly well again yesterday mm. against a really tall lineup. You know, they oh, had, yeah, they they had three second rows on the pitch, I think. Um, and well, not three second rows, no, but they, they uh, two massive lighthouses and, and then Will Skelton off the bench. He's yeah. not a lineup guy, but still. Um, it went well, but if we'd gone well from the off, you know, what's, obviously we still wouldn't have made us beat the All Blacks, but if we, if we are going to beat the All Blacks, Things like that have got to be in place and working straight away. You can't wait for it to settle down. It's too late then. So, um, yeah, and the usual thing is we start poorly and get better as it goes on. And by the time we're kind of ready to uh, play really well, it's all over. Yeah, we're going to stick with this theme of uh, gauging exactly where Wales are if we can. 
Um, but in order to do that, we're going to take a very quick break. Right, Murph, we're saying there <laughs> Wales have kind of carried on the mantle of starting poorly in the autumn and kind of gradually getting a little bit better. As you look ahead to the Six Nations, we also spoke a little bit about the injuries, but as we look ahead to, to the Six Nations and generally getting an understanding of where this side is at, throw those players back in. It's a tough Six Nations campaign. Um, do you think that when we're doing this equivalent podcast in March will really understand where Wales are on their World Cup journey? Um, no. No. Uh, well, quite a lot of the boys missing are not guaranteed to be fit, are they? Um, and I'm not, you know, um, there's still, even if people are fit, there's still issues at nine. Yeah. I, 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 Thomas Williams is not, is not grabbing the shirt for me. Not that I prefer either of the others really I prefer Reese Webb but Wayne doesn't um, it's something I, I don't know I I don't know what the story is with Thomas Williams but he, he doesn't he doesn't boss the game he yeah. and he doesn't impose himself on it I mean he's obviously so talented and so much ability but he was very erratic at times in the second half running up blind alleys or running into like blind sides with no no one on it but three defenders and lots of strange things kicking straight into the back of his own player I think at one stage or did he kick it straight into the, an Australian player it was just um, it wasn't not a poor was it no but it's not it's, it, yeah, exactly it wasn't the sort of thing that's making you say okay this is this is our nine this is going to be the nine going forward he, has, he hasn't claimed it in this series at all um, and then you know like I say the, the other players uh, uh Alan Wynn, I think, is a doubt for the Six Nations. I, I think it's highly unlikely Alan Wynn will be back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so is Tips, I think, and George's as well. And I, I think, so I think George Tips is Christmas, well. is he? Yeah, I yeah. think Tips and George. There's, there's definitely more hype there than uh, than right. Alan Wynn, and okay. which yeah does change. I think particularly the centre, as we've said, this has been a common theme throughout the autumn. We've said what's going to go on with the centre, what's going to go in the centre. Arguably yeah. the best out, the best centre combination outing was yesterday. But it's far from being convincing, I would say. Yeah, and the the other the other possibility there is more games into Gareth Anscombe's legs, and then we might be able to play like we were in 2019 if he's at 10 and at his best. But um, the difference there is he had Hadley Parks outside him, who's seemed like a perfect, just provided perfect balance to our midfield when he was there, and we haven't really replaced him. Uh, unless Alahol, like Alahol was, was good in the first half, so if he can sustain that for a full, full eighty, or maybe he's just not an eighty-minute kind of a guy. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but he, he definitely looked tired at the end. So um, there's lots, there's so much to work through, and and even once you get that all that in place, then you've got to get whatever, <laughs> whatever the uh, game plan is. Because uh, I mean, I, I'm still not sure if what the style is. It just seems to be get it just. Playing uh, loose, uh, loosely so you can get mismatches, like try and end up with a, foot, uh, a forward on the wing running at a small guy, or or um, uh, backs finding uh, um, uh, front five forwards in midfield. That seems to be all we're trying to do. There's no, I'm a, as you know, big fan of a backs move. Mm. We seem to have stopped that. 
stop that altogether. So, yeah, I think the um, yeah, it's a really good point there. That Gareth Anscombe bit is very interesting because I kind of feel like it's that little bit of history has been forgotten a bit how important he was in that Six Nations campaign. And you know, as you know, you you'll struggle to find a bigger Dan bigger fan than me. But it was just being able to have the two of them over the course of eighty minutes. And I've said yeah. this numerous times before, Anskim kind of offering a bit more a bit more zip to that otherwise really settled backline. Mm. And then having bigger to come on with as the game tightens up, knowing that yeah. you've got someone who makes great decisions and slots penalties for fun. And mm. I kind of think like we've yeah, because we went on and played very well at the World Cup with Bigger at at ten, kind of forgotten actually how how big an impact I think Anscombe had there. And it took him a long while to get there. You know, he was in that team from kind of 2015 onwards. It took him a whole World Cup cycle, really, yeah. to, to get that shirt. And then, uh, you know, and then sadly lost it through injury. So these yeah. things these things can change. And, you know, Hadley Parks is another one. Hadley Parks is kind of someone who was stumbled upon, really. You know, obviously over here qualified and, uh, and went on, did a really solid job for Wales for two or three seasons there might well be another player out there who ends up doing that role for Wales, whether it's in the centre or elsewhere. I think the thing mm. that just worries me a little bit is across the course of the last 10 years, you've seen brilliant players who've kind of come through the under-20 system and take to international rugby very, very quickly. George North, Sam Warburton, Tipperick, you know, those kind of those kind of players, Halfpenny, Liam Williams, all of them, who'd kind yeah. of been been around for quite a period of time and you could see the raw potential there even as they were youngsters and and they kind of took to the international game so well it doesn't feel like there is that right now it feels like we've got a very very aging side and I'm not sure where the you know the real bright sparks are to to come in and and fulfill those roles yeah that's a good point I will say though that like um some of the noises in the week that um Wayne Pivak was making about Jonathan Davis not playing and Nick Tompkins playing instead. And reportedly, Jonathan Davis was gutted because it was been his 100th international game and what have you. But uh, Wayne had gone for the, um, uh, the quote was, youth, to the younger player to see, you know, and all this nonsense. But then with his selections, when the time came that he needed an extra, extra back three player, he went for Alex Cuthbert. Mm. I don't know how old Alex, Alex Cuthbert is, but he's got to be in the 30, region of 30. 31, I believe. Disso, so Reece, in the Priestland. Sum- you know, yeah, well, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the summer, he, he looked at Tom Rogers. Mm. Uh, and he was okay. You know, he wasn't uh, he wasn't found wanting or anything in, in the games that he played in the summer. Uh, and he's a young prospect who could come through. And then uh, if I was personally, if I was the international coach and I was looking at one of the Ospreys backs to bring in to bolster the back three, I would have gone for Matt Prothero. Mm. So there, there are options, but we won't, we won't know if he keeps turning to people like Alex Cuthbert. Uh, I mean, we we think uh, this is not an anti-Alex Cuthbert no. uh, uh, tirade. This is, we, we think it should have been Jonah Holmes. Yeah. But, you know, but if, if you don't try out these youngsters and they haven't, you know, Pat Prothero has been really eye-catching, I think, for the Ospreys. And it would be, if he got picked, it would be no, it would be no surprise. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be any people, it wouldn't be a surprise in a, say, I don't know, Rodri Jones or something like that getting picked. Um, no. So there, there are players who could be looked at, but 
he just seems to sometimes play it safe with his selections. It's not even so much the playing it safe. I think it's just the chopping and changing that I kind of, I don't feel like yeah. we're any closer to having a settled side. I mean, even the front row, if you looked at, if you asked me who Wales's best front row is when everyone's fit, I'd say Wynne Jones, Ken Owens and Tom Francis without a shadow of a doubt. And there doesn't appear to be that confidence in, in these guys right now. Something was up with Wynne Jones. I know they said it was fitness, but he obviously this is my problem is like why are these players knocking around the squad if they're not fit if it you know if, yeah. it, if it was not fit needs to get more match time well even send him off to one of these blooming a games that uh that the scarlets have been playing in just get some he's, right, he's, yeah. he's not going to get any match fitness by training training with the squad is he you know it's mm. all of these things kind of just I, I find a bit concerning because you watch win jones in the in the world cup or in the even the six nations and on the lions tour and you think here is a guy who is comfortably an international class loose head, and yet he's kind of um, not even assured of his place right now. Did, mm. You know, ditto like Nicky Smith sat around not playing. Not playing that feels very, very odd to me. It's yeah. The, yeah, it's the kind of the, the chopping and changing. I, I've not seen anything from from Gareth Thomas to suggest that he's that he's that he's international level. You know, and that's no yeah. slight. He might be. I don't know. You know, I'm. What the hell do I know? But it's just, he's not been that eye-catching for the Ospreys versus someone like Smith, who's had, you know, if you look at that form against against Munster, a really good, strong scrummaging performance. And he's got the experience there. You know, it's not a 35-year-old guy. It's a guy in his mid to late 20s who's um, who's got proven international experience. I don't understand why he's not in the squad. All of the selections have been puzzling, but none more so than that original squad that was announced in uh, at the end of October. Yeah, well, the, probably the biggest one uh, of that original squad, um, which was uh, w- w- something you flagged up, is um, Falatau. Falatau was picked in the original squad, and, and uh, I don't know what your source was, but he hasn't even trained this year. Yeah, I, I believe that's. I believe that's. Um, I mean, out there in print, you know, it's it's pretty. I mean, what well the known. hell? I mean, I can see that they would be tempted to pick him anyway so they could have a look at him medically. Mm. You see what I mean? So they could get him away from Bath and have a good look at him. But you, if you do that, you don't pick him as the only other member in the squad. You pick him and then someone else as well. And that was our argument, or your argument, actually, um, about the way the squad was picked. Was It was just too light. There wasn't enough numbers in, in enough positions. And there's no limit on the n- number of no. people you can pick. It's not a World Cup squad. So you could pick 50-plus if you wanted. So, um, yeah, it was very odd, the, the original selection. And, and and that, I think, is why we got some weird um, selections during the series as well. Maybe the budgets are too tight down at the Vale. And <laughs> yeah, the they've got enough masseurs. They've yeah. run out of masseurs. They were worried worried about Nicky Smith tucking into the tucking into the breakfast buffet or something. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, again, I think that's that's what it comes down to. We say it time and time again that, you will always get judged on your selection at, at international level because that really is the bit that you can control the most. Obviously, there's there's the dressing room with twists, but you get so little time to actually train with the players that selection and, and understanding the combinations that work is such a big part of it. And uh, yeah, I, I don't feel like we're any closer to knowing what our best 15 is, to be honest. No, well, I think me and you could pick, and Dan and Yesen could pick the best 15, but Wayne would disagree. Yeah. You know, we we I think we know what what you know that the, the, you've got the big names and you fill them in with the um, 
the strongest of the rest. And then, and Wayne still carries on picking his favourites, you know. So, um, and they, and and if they, you know, if those favourites turn out to be in, uh, world class, you know, fine. But so far, there's no sign of it, is there? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, what I, what I would say is, um, yeah, as we said last week, I thought Elias had another another very good game. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, ultimately, his it's so difficult because. It's very hard to gauge what a um, what's going on with the line out. It's always really easy to blame the hooker, and obviously that first game against mm. New Zealand was horrendous. Mm. But that has been kind of a common theme with him. But that's got gradually better as the as the autumn has gone on, as we've said, and the stuff yeah, he's done yeah. around the park has been really good. He's got his, you know, we know he gets his hands on the ball. He scored tries. He's, you know. It, as good a scrummaging hooker as you can have in a scrum that's going backwards. So, you know, I think, you know, he's he's done well. McNichol would be another one I'd have put into that bracket before the autumn as being a, a Pivak favourite that I perhaps wasn't convinced by. And I thought he played very well in those first two games. Um, yeah. But again, has kind of featured, has featured less um, towards the end of it. So, mm. and, and the other one, I think, yeah, like you said, uh, Chunza is... I thought he'll get five minutes against Fiji just to make sure he never plays for England, and and then, <laughs> yeah. and then I don't know yeah. when we'll see him again. But yeah. Um, but yeah, fair play. He's you know he's come on and, and shown just what what an athletic prospect he is, and mm. some smart stuff uh, as well he, he for brought, a guy who's only nineteen. You know exactly, and he brought real energy to mm. the defence uh, uh, late on today when when they were all over us. He was um, really lively in defence. So um, yeah, it, it, um, I I wasn't. When I was saying about uh, Wayne's uh, favourites, I wasn't really targeting Ryan because I don't mm. really see, with, in the absence of Elliot D, who else there was to turn to. No, there wasn't. There was no uh, one. Uh, Although, again, to that point, Elliot D and Ken Owens were in the initial, the initial squad alongside Ryan Elias, and clearly two of them weren't fit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, yeah, that that initial squad was piss poor. Like, you know, it, it just was not thought through properly, and that that is a that is a worry. You know, it, if he produces another um, Six Nations like we had last year, then we, everyone well, we won't, but everyone will forget the squad they picked in uh, in in this this, this series. But um, it was really like it was. I I, I want to get too into it but it, it was almost like he'd been throwing darts at a, at a wall and picking his selections whether they were fit or not I like to think they do it like we do over Zoom on a Sunday night and <laughs> yeah. you know like you've got Jonathan Humphreys in the top left he's, he's trying to hurry Pivak up because he's got a Chinese that's coming raising raising his hand on Zoom <laughs> <laughs> he's doing that and then yeah Pip Pivak's, Pivak's in the bottom right hand corner Stephen, Stephen Jones is uh, he's trying he's trying to watch uh I don't know, whatever. Uh, he's trying to watch Vigil on BBC iPlayer like Dan Killick. You know, so they're, they're all just desperately trying to get to 36 players without um, yeah. without going too late into the night. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, look, that's that's the stuff that I, I just think is a bit baffling. And, um, mm. you know, hopefully that some of these players will end up, you know, will end up seeing back in Wales like, you know, like someone... Like Chinza, I guess you know is on a is on a contract down in Exeter. But if he's got a realistic chance of featuring in squads regularly, we'll be back whenever that contract is up um, mm. to to somewhere. And um, that you know that is the the one thing I I would say as well is <laughs> the club game has probably 
benefited a bit from some of these left field selections going back to Will Rowlands and Jonah Holmes. Well, Holmes was Gatland, wasn't he? But you know what I mean. Those those kind of selections where where players have yeah. ended up back. Will Griff John being another. Um, but realistically, you know, we need we need to start building a, a squad for for the World Cup rather than just attracting attracting players back from England to to come and play for yeah. regions. If he um, or, or just yeah, if Shunza can cut it as an international six. Now he gives us a hell of a line-out with two second rows in him. Um, I don't know where, over the course of time, he looks like he might thicken out again mm. and he might be too slow for the back row, but um, that would be a weapon if he could, if he could um, develop in that in that position. The problem is we've just got two minutes, the one position where we've got international yeah, players coming out of our yeah. asses in the back row. and Yeah, but he would be more like a, a different style of six, more mm. like a... Um, a Oh, I'm having a senior moment now with a name. Uh, <laughs> Aaron Shingler. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah a ra- yeah, a rangy back row forward who, who can really do a job in the line-out as well. Like, um, he, do, he he just looks like he, to me though, he just looks like he's going to bulk up again, just the mm-hmm. size of his frame. You know what I mean? Uh, we'll see. I mean, if that wouldn't stop England picking him at six. Uh, yeah. No matter, like... no matter if he gets a 20 stone, they'll still pick him on the blind side. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh... Obviously, they they got the got the result yesterday, England. But um, mm. yeah, I haven't Ed, seen that one yet. Eddie's Eddie's selections continue to baffle. I, I mean, England were very good in the first half. South Africa very sloppy, and then South Africa were physically dominant for thirty four minutes of the of the second half. Missed six points off the tee, and uh, England scored a brilliant strike move off the off the line out. Caught South Africa napping, and um, and that was it. That was the that was the game one really. Um, but yeah, I don't know if uh, I don't know. It's, it's, there's just something I don't like about having locks at six. I'd oh. much, I'd much rather have a light, a lightweight back row, and know you're going to get bumped around a bit. Um, but win, if you're playing, win turnover ball. Well, yeah, if you're playing Marcus Smith uh, at ten, which they, I don't think they necessarily would have started with him before when Farrell wasn't unavailable, but they did. If you do, you need pace in your back row because he's going to go for it a lot. You know, mm. it's in his. It's in his nature. He's just going to um, attack from all, all positions and go wide from all positions. And therefore, you need some speed in the back row. Uh, and and going uh, going back to um, um, playing a second row on the blind side, you're also playing a blind side at number eight with two number eights on the bench again, which he did in the, in the other yeah. match. Which, I mean, obviously, they, the two number eights didn't both come on in that position. One of them went to blind side and, you know, that they went from there. But... Is she, I, I mean the the, the Tuilagi on the wing thing in the last game. He, he spent most of the game at centre yeah. in a number fourteen shirt. So where was where was the point? It just well picked him. At, I know they, there was probably some really clever Eddie Jones plan going on, but he, he, I don't know. Sometimes I I, <laughs> I think Eddie Jones. This is my theory. <laughs> Here we go. I think Eddie Jones picks his England side deliberately to troll me personally. <laughs> Just to get on my tits. <laughs> I, yeah. I would love for that to be the case. <laughs> it's just... You and, know, and, there's and this then, guy in Cardiff, he's always giving me a jib. You know, this guy, <laughs> Miley Man. He calls himself Miley. And I, what kind of a guy gives himself a nickname? You know? Well, the thing is, what happens then is uh, the... Rugby correspondents, correspondents at all the big papers like the Times and what have you, 
all go in a like a big deep dive about um Eddie Seely about numbers being meaningless mm. and this and that and false what's this, uh, what was it um oh there was some buzzword they had going wrong the false 12s or some nonsense right, yeah. that was coming out it's, it's, it's total bullshit he's just very loyal to the boys who have been there all the way through and he doesn't yeah. like bringing in fresh if he can help possibly avoid it and he's he's at least i would say at least a year possibly 18 months late picking marcus smith um and the same and say well sam simmons has admitted it was too soon for him first time round when he was picked for the England squad. I, I mean, he, he didn't look bad those times, I don't think, no, either. But, yeah. but he definitely should have been in the start of 2021, mm. if not sooner. And also, like, when a number eight is lighting up the domestic league, like Alex Dombrandt is, yeah. whether you pick him or not to pl- start is one thing. But he, you've got to have him in your squad because he's obviously... He's patently obvious that he's an international standard number eight because he's running rings around backs... In, in domestic league, um, so and now that he's you know finally uh, in the summer, having totally cocked up the Six Nations in the summer, he picked a load of youngsters because mm-hmm. it was Alliance tour, and then he's in the press saying, yeah, we're, we're going to look at some young players and uh, it'd be really uh, exciting and interesting and uh, what's the words uh, the type of use a uh, uh, non-conformist kind of style of play and all this other bullshit he comes up with, and it's a year late. All the, they're all a year late, you know. They should be. I know it's. A, I know there's a much bigger nation, so they they can afford to take their time. We basically anyone shows it form at the age of eighteen yeah, in this in. country. They're, they're in the Welsh squad, so it is a different kettle of fish. But the point they were they were running rings around everyone a year ago, and he didn't look at them. So, and, and like I say, and then when he does when he does eventually cotton on to what the rest of the rugby world's been telling him, he puts two of them on the bench, and a six at the number eight slot. A second row in the blind side, and it, you know, and then uh, anyway. Yeah, the the more you mention it, the more I think he is personally trolling you. Are you, yeah, you, me personally, oh, yeah. Uh, and just generally, like um, the he doesn't seem a little bit like Gatland when he was first here. Eddie, in this part of the world, doesn't seem keen on being questioned. Mm. He doesn't like the press, like. Gatland is very prickly at times with the press. And Eddie Jones doesn't like anything being examined in detail or having to explain anything he's ever done. And I think, uh, I imagine Japan, uh, where he was coaching before, it was so vague and so like reverential, all the, all the coverage from the journalists. You know, thank you, Mr. Jones-san, you know, and uh, well done. And off they went. <laughs> that was the write-up, you know what I mean? Well, now people want to pick holes in everything you do. That's the way it is in this part of the world, especially if you're a highly paid international coach. And um, he just seems prickly. And I wonder if some of the press and the wankers like me as well, you know, on podcasts, have just made him pig-headed, more, even more pig-headed with his selection. He just seems to get more pig-headed the more time goes on with his with his squad selection to me. Maybe it is. I, I, that could just be because I'm having a... He's living rent-free in my head. I don't know, but maybe... Yeah. I don't know. I do think generally, though, you look at any international head coach who's in charge for a long period of time and they will turn to their favourites. So, you know, look at Graham Henry, you look at Steve Hansen. I'm, I'm talking about them in charge of Wales, yet alone when it came to New Zealand. You know, mm. you, you do look back to those players um, for for that level of consistency. You know, your proven performers, Gatland did it... Um, with Wales, I think you know that they're always going to be kind of favourites. But I agree. I think you know 
there's a lot the player base you have in England means you can afford to experiment particularly because it's like it's, yeah. vir- it's virtually impossible to lose a game at Twickenham do you know what I mean well it's like... the, the, not only the, the, play, the player base means you, you said there the player base means you can afford to experiment it also means you can afford to do bugger all and just mm. carry on the way you are because you've got tons of just like big fat forwards available to you and so he, he, like the, mo- the world has moved on from uh, international rugby after that Autumn Nations Cup a year ago they all seem to move on from that and say right we're going we're gonna to play some open rugby mm-hmm. uh, Eddie don't really want to join in on that Eddie wants to stay where he was the, he, I think he, he, he's uh, trapped in that World Cup semi-final against New Zealand and he doesn't he doesn't want to let go of it because I mean never, that was an amazing performance mm-hmm. that's not but it, it, the very next game was showed that it, it it won't work all the time when you get a side that stands up to you up front. There's no there's nowhere to go from there, and uh, I think he's obsessed with it myself. Maybe yeah, maybe I mean the, the same side they ended up on the you know they they ended up beating yesterday. So I don't know. I you I, I think yeah. I think things have moved on a, a little. I would say that I think you know maybe you're right. Maybe he doesn't want to pick Marcus Smith. At, um, at ten, but, it, but he in, is, in, in in I mean, in his defence, he has moved on from the Vunipolas. Yep. But um, the style of play is not like the, he's moved on from those two players. But uh, the style of play hasn't moved on really that much. You know, they, 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 it just means they've got less ball carriers now. I think. Yeah. They definitely, haven't got, they haven't got, definitely, I'm got an out-and-out number eight. So on the starting fifteen, anyway. So. Well, let's let's quickly bring it back to Wales uh, to finish. Is this a Welsh podcast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's quickly yeah. take it take it out of your head and into uh, and into the, <laughs> the wider the wider uh, issues of Welsh rugby. Um, two things I wanted to finish on: one, should Ellis Jenkins captain the Welsh side during the Six Nations? Yes, uh, uh, I think he should probably. Move back to seven as well if uh, if um, if Tips is not recovered fully. Move back to seven and go for a bigger six, maybe a Moriarty on the blind mm. side, and then Wayne Wright at eight. Uh, n- not that there's anything wrong with um, young Basham, but uh, he kind of started great and s- his performances slowly tailed off through the through the series. I would well, say. He's man of the match yesterday. Um... Yeah, I didn't see that. No, Did I you? didn't either. I no. mean, I'm, a, I'm again, I'm a massive Basham fan. I thought he's yeah. fine, but um, yeah, he's okay. Yeah, yeah, he's okay, and he's got you know he will. He is actually one of those players. I think will will grow and grow and grow. But mm. yeah, again, Sod's Law is in the is in the back row, which is where where they all are. Um, yeah, but yeah, I th- I think that we just need that bit of leadership, and with Alan Wynn not being around and mm. Jonathan Davis not assured of his place, I just think that Ellis is the kind of player who can do that do that role I think you just have to make room for him in the side right. and again it's, it's mad the quality back rows that we've got but I just think he he never he will never let you down but he will give you really steady captaincy and um, uh, and, and good strong leadership and I think that's that's what we're going to need and then yeah. the, fi- the final thing Murph um, which player has impressed you the most during the autumn which Welsh player uh, good question that is all this right. is one where I would say, what, what do you think, Dan? <laughs> uh, it's also the kind of one that Dan would throw straight back to me if it was just me. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, I suppose, it, uh, in a way, the, the way he's uh, got better for the whole 
across the whole four matches is uh, Ryan Elias. After the New Zealand game, I'd have written him off and said, mm. oh my God, he's one of Wayne's favourites. But he has got it together really well in the, in the following three games. So uh, him, Christians are on debut. I mean, it's a sum total of about 25 minutes, but mm. he just looks... He just looks the part, not, not as we said, just get him on the field to stop him being English. Uh, and it, we just mentioned him, Ellis Jenkins, back after three years out. So surprise, surprise, I've picked all forwards. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I'd have to. I think I'd have to go with Ellis on that one. I think it's just the the return to, the return to kind of that level. And we said beforehand, actually, he hadn't looked particularly eye-catching for Cardiff at the start of no. the season. And then to pull out some big performances uh, yeah. in an international shirt is um, is really yeah, great. To, and crucially, stay, he stayed fit and long may that continue. Yeah, to, to come back and then immediately look like, a, as soon as he was on the pitch, immediately look like a leader mm. the second he was on the pitch. And also, like you would say, he was about his performances at Cardiff. Sometimes, to me, he didn't even look like he was moving very well playing for Cardiff. He looked a bit stiff mm. but, um Nothing, nothing wrong with it. I mean, he's he's heavier set now than he was. It definitely pre, is, yeah. Pre pre injury, so if he moves to seven, maybe shift a couple of pounds. I don't know, but um, I think yeah. I think it. I think it all just depends on who you've got around you, doesn't it? If you've got enough legs, because like you say, even if if Toby's not fit for the Six Nations and you carry on with Wainwright at eight, he is still, you know, he's got plenty of legs around the park, hasn't he, Wainwright? It does give you a bit of gas in the back row. Um, even though he's not going to be winning you loads of turnovers, no. um, I just think yeah, it, it is about having that balance, and it depends kind of who's around you. You know, numbers are meaningless, mate. You, me, and Eddie, we all know. <laughs> well, listen, it, it, they're meaningless, and also guarantee we'll just be picking whoever's fifth come come February. Yeah, good point. Well, all of that, <laughs> all of that to look forward to, um, and uh, yeah, next week uh, I dare say we'll be returning to domestic rugby. Um, I haven't even looked at the fixtures. I presume there are some next week, Murph. Yeah, a lot of the Cardiff boys have ah, jumped on a now, jumped on a plane. The Welsh squad boys have jumped on a plane straight down there. So, oh, well, that's what um, they need. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but that's a lovely recovery. Eleven-hour flight. Yeah, eleven-hour flight, and then yeah, get a, a serious physical shoeing over in South Africa. So. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have that to look forward to. Look forward to debriefing that next week. Uh, thank you to the Mighty Murph. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listened over the autumn. Uh, don't forget, leave us a, leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts if you can. And uh, yeah, thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Don't forget, we've got the Jamie Roberts interview coming up later in the week. So make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this pod. Uh, but yes, we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.